Hey, everyone. Welcome to our first Moana Villages podcast. We are so thrilled that you're joining us today. We're going to talk about ethical orphan care and answer some frequently asked questions. And my name is Mary Beth Poor, and I'm with Welland Bridgers, and we are part of the Moana team. And so our first question today that we're going to be that Wellen's going to be sharing a little bit about is what is ethical orphan care? Hey guys, it's Wellen. So glad to be chatting with you all today. Um, I feel the need to say, first of all, that while we are sharing about Moana and representing Moana, most of our staff is on the other side of the world in Congo right now with our Moana kiddos. And, you know, when it, when I talk about Moana, I often feel that conflict of here I am representing the organization, but we're the only two people in the States that work for the organizations. The rest of our team is in Congo. And then our co-founders, Cheryl and Lambert, who are Canadian and Congolese are in Canada. So we are representing our amazing team who are in Congo right now, taking care of these precious 40 little ones. Um, Okay, so what do we mean by ethical orphan care? Um, When we talk about ethical orphan care, we talk about, first of all, having a priority of keeping families together. I know that a lot of times when we think about the word orphan, we think about a child with no parents, but most children who are considered orphans or even vulnerable children do actually have a family member who is living, or even if it's not a mom or a dad, it might be an extended relative that can and care for them. So prioritizing that family preservation and keeping a family together whenever possible is really the goal of ethical orphan care. So that then kind of leads to, well, then what about adoption? And so for us, that's another piece of that puzzle, that adoption only happens when family preservation or family reunification is not possible. And well, and when you talk about this, and I remember when I first got to know Moana, the idea of family reunification and preservation seems so obvious. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, that should be the first option. So why is that not the case or what makes you know our process so different? Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, we've shared stories about how a mom has not been able to care for her child. And so she's facing this really horrific decision of having to give up one child in order to care for the others when, you know, if we can just support that mom to stay together, that seems like, well, of course, that's what should we should be doing. But that is the truth. It's not that's not what happens everywhere. And there is, as of recently, a a global movement to um, deinstitutionalize children. So moving children out of orphanages and back into family care. Um, and when that they can't go to their to their family to have local foster care or even local adoption. But that's a, a newer kind of movement throughout the world. And what we're seeing is that the traditional orphanages, um, oftentimes they are not doing that reunification piece. And so a child either grows up for forever in an orphanage or there are really unethical adoption and might even use the word trafficking practices that happen where um, children are not able, not going back with families that they otherwise would be able to because that organization is profiting from that child in one way or another. So all these children that we're talking about today, these 40 precious souls and eight of these are new babies that we have at the refuge. So a question that is commonly asked is how do children come to Moana? 
Yeah. Oh, man. It really depends. I mean, we have had... We have had everything from a child literally left in the middle of the night at our gates to um, children who have been abandoned at the hospital and the hospital staff um, brings them to Moana. We have um, children who come to us from social services or from the courts, the police, more kind of formal ways. But one of the one of the decisions that Moana made a long, long time ago with our refuge was being centrally located in the city. So we're in the city of Point Noir, which is a city of a million. So it's a pretty urban environment. And we're located really centrally. And we have signs up all throughout the city because one of the most important things that we can do is help people know that we are there. And so we often have people bring us a child that's been abandoned from their neighborhood. Um, And it might be, you know, 30 or 45 minutes away, but because they have seen our our signs. They know that we're there. There's a really strong word of mouth kind of community where we are. They know that they can come to Moana and find um, find a safe place. Um, one of the things that, you know, that that we see with whatever way a child comes, whatever the story is behind it, is that there is always a story of a family that suffered. Um, it is never a, a cut and dry kind of a situation. There is always a complex story behind that. And that also is one of the things that, that it's important to do is to find out what the story is behind it. Um, when we talk about you know, ethical orphan care, that research piece of it, discovering the truth behind that child's story is a really critical aspect of knowing exactly what happened. And is there family available? Is there extended family in another town that can can step in? So um, no matter how the child comes to us, there are some common elements of discovering the real truth behind, behind that story. And I love as you're talking, I'm thinking about a couple of things. I'm going to mention this a couple of times during the podcast, but you are sharing about these children and we have an Instagram at Moana Villages that if you're not following us, stop what you're doing right now and go follow <laughs> us, please, on Moana Villages because we share pictures and stories about things like this. And even even our website is moanavillages.org. And on our website, you can sign up for our insider emails where you hear more details mm-hmm. about the stories of the children who are coming to us um, at Moana. So we talked about family reunification a second ago. How do you go about family reunification? One of my favorite stories recently was about the little one who was reunited with her grandmama. Mm -hmm, And so, yes, Maria. (laughs) So how do we go about family reunification? Oh, that's, it's always like the happiest, happiest thing of what we do is to get these kiddos with, back with their families. So, Family reunification again always starts with research. Um, our that's the beauty of having a local Congolese team, and our local team we have got just incredibly smart, capable, um, truly committed men and women that go into the community and they ask questions. And because they're Congolese, they are able to get information that somebody, you know, a Western white person walking in would never be able to get that information. 
Um, but these men and women are able to understand, you know, how what happened with this child, where are the where are the family connections, that kind of thing. We have so many stories that would blow your mind. These are the type of things that we get to share about on Insider Email series. But we had um, a baby that we all we heard was the first name of the father, and Jean Papa Jean, one of our staff members there, went out into a city of a million. It was truly like a needle in a haystack. And within 24 hours, he was able to find these parents. Um, And they are now on a path toward reunification. It's truly amazing how how this happens. It's a little side note, because when I think about our team and them going out and doing these investigations, so every single one of our Congolese team members speaks a minimum of three languages. I I mean, it's truly incredible. And listening to them swap back and forth between different dialects and, you know, using one language to talk to one person and it'll turn around and use a completely different language. It's unbelievable how well equipped they are to do to do this work. Um, and so once we 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 are able to locate family, that reunification process is often, sometimes it's not, but often it's a gradual process that we are coming alongside that mother or the grandmother or the aunt or whoever it is to help equip them. Um, sometimes, you know, like with Maria, for example, her, her grandmother is who she was reunited with. Well, she had not raised a baby in a long time. So, so, you know, she came and we worked with her on, you know, kind of helping reacclimate her to um, to a, taking care of a child that was Maria's age. But oftentimes it's a gradual process just to ensure that stability. And then we continue that relationship afterward as well. Our staff continues to check in on and to help provide for the needs and to coach them on different things like like simple things like water hygiene and how to use a water filter and how to keep, you know, safe because water is not clean in Congo. So having to, you know, to do some of these this training that really helps families stay more self-sufficient and stay stable. That's part of that ongoing process. And our slogan is that we are not your typical orphanage. And when you're talking about the story of Maria and her grandmama being reunited, I remember that part of their bonding was through play and through creativity. Mm-hmm. And I love that at the at the refuge, that these children get to experience things that you do not typically see at, at an orphanage, like, you know, being able to play, being able to engage in art and dance and trampoline mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. And so I think one of the most important pieces, too, of who we are is that as they are at the refuge and in the process of family reunification, that they are at a healthy, fun place mm-hmm. where they get to experience being a child in this whole process. So I love Love, I love that watching, you know, us come alongside Mama H as she was re- reuniting <laughs> with Maria was really beautiful. So family reunification is top priority. And then sometimes there are cases where there is adoption that some children have been adopted. And but what about a local adoption? Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So for us, um, adoption is is only done when reunification is not possible. And that doesn't even mean when it's not easy. We have children that reunification is a years-long process that we're working towards. But for children that need a family through adoption, those are situations where the, it's, it's either not safe for a child to reunify with family or it's simply not possible. That there have been times where no family 
family can be located after every means has been has been exhausted. And so in those situations, we want children to have families. We want them to grow up in a family and not grow up um, in, a, in a group home. And so our priority for that is local adoption. Um, and we, we often get that question, how common is local adoption? So it is very common in Congolese culture for an extended family to, to absorb a child who maybe, you know, the mother has passed away and then the aunt or the grandmother will take care of that child. And even if it's not a legal adoption, they will care for that child. But it is very unusual for a Congolese family to adopt a child that there is no blood relation to. Um, And we see that in other African countries as well. Um, And so this idea of adoption that you would, that a child who is not related to you would become part of your forever family is pretty foreign to most Congolese people. Um, So that's been a real challenge for us to, to find families who are open to that and who are willing to make that lifelong commitment. But we have had five adoptions from Congolese couples in the past six years of the Moana Refuge, which is just so worth celebrating. And our continued prayer is that we would have more Congolese adoptions. So I love hearing that five families have, Congolese families have adopted. And so local adoption is the priority when it, when it works. And what about international adoption? Is international adoption possible? As of this past April, um, the Republic of Congo is now signatory to the Hague Convention, which means that they are joining a long list of other countries around the world saying that there are certain standards that they will adhere to for inter-country adoption, international adoption. But what that means practically is that um, is that the countries where those children would be going to, so for example, France or the United States or wherever that would be, they also have to agree that Congo has implemented those standards to, you know, to their satisfaction. So for the time being, the United States, for example, has put on hold all international adoptions until a a later date. That could be several years. It could be never that they will start allowing, again, international adoptions. So while we have had several children adopted internationally, um, that is actually on hold for the next, you know, undefined amount of time until we see how Congo um, implements those Hague standards. Awesome. We've talked about our sweet kids, family reunification, adoption, and in addition to the Moana team that is in the Congo and then in Canada and you and I, we also have a team of donors who comes alongside us and partners with us in this work. And so at, in this day and age, there are many questions about donor dollars and how do they get spent? So how do we ensure that donor dollars are going towards what it is intended? Oh, man, I I always love answering this question for folks that want to say, you know, how can you ensure that my money is being spent? Because I think a lot of times when someone thinks, okay, my money's going off to Congo, that sounds a little scary. Um, But, you know, this is something that from the very beginning when Moana was started, um, we have had the absolute highest standards of transparency and financial accountability. We've worked with international and local accounting firms to implement measure upon measure to just ensure that our, our donor dollars are being used exactly for the purposes that, that we say they are towards these the care for these children and family families at the refuge. 
refuge. Um, some of the things that we do just kind of practically um, when someone comes to the refuge in Congo and gives, you know, a can of tomatoes or a package of diapers or something like that. Every single donor gets a written receipt, and we have sort of a two-step process for recording the donation. There's sort of checks and balances with that. And one of the things that I love is that our local Congolese donors that come consistently say, we never see anything like this, that level of transparency. We have um, accountants, um, board treasurers, all different people that are involved in looking through our books, keeping our books, communication between, you know, donor dollars that are received in the U.S. versus Canada versus Congo. Um, so there's there's a, a very high level of financial accountability and transparency. So we've talked about you and I being on staff in the States. We have our MUANA team in Congo. The founders are in Canada. But how does it all fit together as an organization? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even when we talk about like financial accountability, you've got donor dollars coming in from Canada or from the United States or in Congo. Yep. So we, Moana Villages operates as one kind of unified um, organization. All of what we do from our staff to the funds raised goes towards supporting the on the ground work in Congo for caring for these kids and families. But kind of technically, because it is a little bit of an interesting um, setup, we are each an individual nonprofit. So the U.S is a registered nonprofit, a 501c3. In Canada, it's a registered charitable organization. In Congo, it's a registered nonprofit. We're also registered in France. So each one has its own legal um, and fiscal responsibilities um, that, you know, that we have to report our taxes that, you know, all of that that goes into it, having a board of directors each place. Part of that helps with that financial transparency that we and those high standards that we strive for. Um, but, But functionally, we do operate as kind of one organization. I have no doubt that as people are listening to this podcast, many are nodding along and saying, I want to be involved with an organization that that does family reunification and, you know, um, ethical adoption and with, you know, financial accountability. So we want to get you involved if you're listening. And I already mentioned that you can follow us at on Instagram at Moana Villages and our website, moanavillages.org. There are ways to get involved, but we want to tell you some specific ways that you can be involved with us. So how can they be a part of our team? Absolutely. One of the most important ways is for you guys to share, to repost a picture that we post, to share with your friends about, hey, I heard this story about Maria and her grandmother, to to share what you're learning about. Hey, you know, sometimes adoption is not the first answer, not the first solution for kids living in an orphanage. That word of mouth is so important to share about what ethical orphan care is and to share about what our organization is doing. We invite you as well to give. So you've been hearing a lot about how we ensure that these donor dollars are being used in important and transformative ways. So whether that's becoming a recurring refuge partner with us and giving monthly, whether that's giving a one-time gift, um, that financial partnership is so important for us. And then, of course, we invite you guys to pray. 
We know that prayer is impactful and it that we may never know the impact of, of a prayer for these children this side of heaven, but we invite you to pray because we know that is so, so important. One of the things that we have seen is that each of you listening to this podcast has a unique gifting, interest, passion, reason for wanting to be involved with Moana Villages, and we would love to talk to you. So you can absolutely, as I've mentioned, follow us, go to our website, but also reach out to us personally. And so please message us on Instagram on our at, at Moana Villages, and we would love to begin a conversation where we can direct what's going on in your heart, specifically with a need or an opportunity to serve with us. We would love to have you involved. <laughs>